welcome to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast, a place to come together to meet passionate Jewish women from all around the globe, coming from different backgrounds, places, and stages in life. At Inspired Jewish Woman, we focus on what unites us, being a Jewish woman. We come together in unity, unity without uniformity. We believe that every woman has a beautiful and unique light to shine to our community and to the world. We believe we have so much to learn from everyone. In these podcast interviews, we find the light in others and help illuminate it forward to all of you. These are the topics that matter most to you and empower you to be the Jewish woman you want to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to our weekly installment of our Shine podcast, Inspiring Jewish Women. Today, we have a fabulous guest, a friend of mine, all the way from Toronto. Her name is Rena Deutsch, and Rena is a native Canadian, just like me. We grew up very close to each other, even though I hardly knew you growing up. I think our, our friendship really flourished uh, just a few years ago through so much. I mean, I feel like we keep learning from each other and strengthening each other as life goes on. So welcome, Rina. Rina is an educator, a high school teacher at Olpanat Orot in Toronto. She's a writer, a blogger. Follow her on Instagram and Facebook. She does these incredible Parsha videos every week that are like, Parsha in one minute. Like, how can you get it so fast? I don't know. You talk so fast. I'm like, is she a New Yorker? That is skill. And Rena also owns her own freelance beauty business, which is pretty, pretty cool. Cause I have this like little dream that one day we're going to have time to spend together and you're going to actually teach me how to wear makeup because I've never learned. I've actually never learned. I'm like Crayola. Like, I feel like I'm like coloring the dots, you know? You're doing a great job, Eve. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. One day, one day. Goals. Okay. Rena, say hi to, to all of our listeners. Hello, everybody, and I just wanted to thank you so much, Eve, for the opportunity to be here. I am a huge fan of yours and all the things that you do, so the the chance to be here, to be schmoozing with you, to be able to have this conversation is very exciting for me. You know, something that over the years, Rena and I have developed is a friendship. I guess we're, we're colleagues because we're both Torah educators, motivational public speakers. Like, we're in that small world, that circuit. And what I've learned from the last couple years is that you really need cheerleaders. You really need friends that are happy for you in your successes and can also hold you up when you're not feeling it, when you're feeling weak. And real friends, we fix each other's crown. So it's really such, a, such an honor to bring up this topic today of the imposter syndrome, which is something mm-hmm. that Rena and I, we struggle with, okay? And we're gonna be really open with you all, because I have a feeling that a lot of you, a lot of our listeners also struggle with this idea, this imposter syndrome of like, who am I? Who am I to give advice? Who am I to get up and talk about a topic that I haven't mastered? What are my credentials? Like, I haven't done life so well. Like, you know, we're all works in progress. It is this very like humbling feeling of like, do I put myself forward? Do I share my passion? Or do I just stay back and be quiet, which is really very much in line with Judaism. Rabbi Simcha Bonim from the early 1800s, he actually said that 
every person should walk through this world with two notes in their pocket. Mm -hmm. on one, in one pocket, we have a note that says, Bishvili Nibra Ha'olam, the world was created for me. I have a mission to do. I am big. I have so much potential. That's one pocket. And in the other pocket, we should have a note that says, Anochi Afar Ve'efer, I am just dust and ashes. I'm nothing. Who am I? So that is the struggle. Rita and I, we actually did a training together for becoming a public speaker. Mm -hmm. That was, when was that? Two years ago, like pre-corona, right? Pre-pre-corona, yeah. <laughs> oh, all a blur. But in that, in that exercise, in that intense months-long program, mm -hmm. Rita and I, we would get on the phone before and after presenting and we'd be scared and we'd be like, did I do it okay? And there's like this back and forth of like pushing yourself forward and then retreating and being like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I did that. I messed up. It's that back and forth and strengthening ourselves. And right. something interesting from that um, experience was that Adrian Gold, who was leading the series, she once said to me, Eve, why do you keep doing this dance? Why do you keep being big, who you could be, and then being so small? Like, stop doing that dance. And honestly, I don't know how to stop doing it because sometimes I feel like I could do this. I got this. And yeah. sometimes I just feel like I can't. I'm scared. When we had this, this conversation a couple of weeks ago on the phone and we were talking back and forth about all this imposter syndrome and you're like, you know what, Rena, let's do that. Let's do that on the podcast. And I was like, sure, no problem. And we hung up the phone and then I was like, oh my gosh, like, who am I to talk about? imposter syndrome. That's ridiculous. Like, what do I know about it? But I was like, oh, I better go do some research because I can't get out there and talk about it if I don't know what I'm talking about. And I was like, oh, hmm, classic imposter syndrome. Um, so yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. It's, it's crazy because it is defined basically as an inability to internalize success. A person who is not able to, despite the fact that there is evidence to prove otherwise, they're not able to step into their competence and they're not able to step into their, their strengths and their talents. They're sort of always pushing off, oh, it's a fluke. I was in the right place at the right time. Like, oh, I, I heard that from somebody else. So like, I just was able to give it over, but it wasn't me. It sounds like it's just someone not being able to own it. Right. Wow. And it's just like this abject fear of somebody is going to figure out that I am a giant fraud. Wow. Right? And there's this narrative in the back of your head of, okay, whatever it is that got me here wasn't really me. So I'll tell you even for myself. So when I became a makeup artist, I had been doing makeup for years already for my friends. It was just a thing that I had always done. And I had done like, I had done weddings already. Like when my friends and I were bridesmaids, I had done like parties of 10 and all this kind of stuff. And then I said, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll be a makeup artist. But I was like, no, but wait, I have to go to school. I don't have the credentials and nobody should take my word for it that I'm good at makeup, which is fine on the one hand, but then like also obviously, even though I had done it and I had people who told me I was good at it, I didn't believe them. I was like, unless I go to school, unless I have a teacher who tells me I'm okay, then I'm absolutely not. And I could never charge somebody $10 to do their makeup because who was I? And then the crazy thing is I went to school and then I did it and I came out and I was like, okay, well, you know, all the people who are established and they're already professionals and everybody knows them. So they charge X. I can't even charge a fraction of that because who am I? I mean, I only just graduated. I don't have a website. I don't have business cards. I don't have a portfolio. Nobody knows who I am. So I should only charge like this tiny amount, right? 
And then as I got, you know, a little bit more exposed and more familiar and more into the industry, then I was like, okay, but you know, they've been doing it for this long and I've only been doing it for that long. And they've done this many faces and I've only done that many faces. It's like, I'm not really that good. And people are looking at me and they're like, what, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what? I mean, like, it's like a hobby that I turned into a job. They're like, no, you work at this and you're good at it. And I'm like, well, not really. It's crazy. Right. right. I have a feeling that a lot of people that struggle with this have a hard time charging for any of their services. hundred percent. Right? I mean, I, I, I used to be a seamstress. It takes what, like 10 minutes to sometimes like hem up a skirt or like, you know, put on five buttons or whatever. And like, I felt like, ugh, and also like, we're good people. Like we want to do kindness for the world. Like for many years, I couldn't charge even the 10 shekels that, you know, I lived in Israel at the time and the money was very important to me. Like I needed yeah. the money, but I didn't see myself as, as worthy enough of my service, of my time as valuable. And it's exactly something that starts in our head that we need to work through in order to really you know, be in this world and love ourselves and give ourselves the respect that we deserve. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then, and what it is, is like you said, we're devaluing ourselves and we're devaluing our talents and our skills and our time. And all of those things are precious at the end of the day, right? Or like, this is what I started doing in the beginning when I would feel insecure of like, well, I, I don't know, maybe my technique is not as good as whatever, you know, the people who do it in Hollywood. Okay. All right. That's legit. If you want to say that, but so then change it. So work at it, go watch another video, take, do another tutorial, get a book out of the library, whatever it is. If you're feeling lacking in your skills, so practice, work at it and do what you can. And then you should be able to feel like, well, hold on a minute. Okay. I know I've worked on this. I know I've invested in myself and in my skills and in my talents so that now I should be able to feel grounded and good about what I have to offer. Let me ask you something, Rina. Yeah. I mean, you've been, you've been working in this field for many years, right? I mean, it's, is it over a decade that you're doing makeup? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's already over 10 years. Do you feel after all of that work and all of this experience, do you come to a point where you finally feel like I got this, like I'm worth it. I'm good at this. I have an uncle who's an artist and he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's probably 70 years old and he's been doing art his whole life. And I've never heard him say, this is beautiful. It's never good enough, you know, and it's sad for me to see it in someone else, but I wonder if we do this ourselves. So I feel like there's a fine line there because I remember my makeup instructor who was just absolutely incredible. She's amazing in her field. And I remember her saying once, she's like, if you ever get to the point where you think you're awesome, you're the best, there is nothing left for you to learn. She's like, you're done. Just step aside. She said, you should feel good and you should feel confident. You should know that you have skills and talents, but you should know there's always something else to learn right? And there's always a new technique and there's always like, could I do this better? Is there a different product? So that there should always be growth in it, right? When you come to a place of complacency and you're like, yeah, no, I'm just going to coast. She's like, that's when you've sort of like lost the passion. And so you should think about doing something else. Wow. Um, and I think that that's sort of very telling is that anytime we're invested in something that we feel really, really passionately about, there's always, I think, going to be like this little bit of like, I don't know if it's fear or like excitement and those two things prodding us to be like, well, was it the best it could have been? Like, could it be a little bit better? Even, you know, even with speaking, even though I've, let's say, devoted like 
400 hours to developing a speech and to editing and then to, to practicing and giving it over to this crowd and then giving it over to that crowd and tweaking and this, that, and the other. Like you get up to go speak and it's like, you've got these butterflies. It's sort of like when you get in line for a roller coaster, you paid admission to the park. You know what you're getting in for. You get in that line, you're standing there for like two and a half hours at Canada's Wonderland, right? When we were teenagers, you're standing in line for two and a half hours as it snakes its way. And the whole time you're getting there, your heart is like pounding in your chest. You know you're in for like this crazy ride. And then you, you sit down in the car and you're freaking out and they buckle you in and these, the, the strap goes down and you start moving. And it's on the one hand, like, like, no, exactly. It's like so exhilarating on the one hand and you want this, like you signed up for it, you paid, you stood in line, you were all ready for it. And then it's also terrifying at the same time, because you know, yeah, I'm going to go on this whole ride. It's going to be the ups and the downs and the crazy and the whatever. So there's always sort of like that feeling. And then, you know, you get off the ride and what do you do? You get right back in line. You're like, yes, let's do that again. Wow. Right? We sign up for it. If there's a calling, I mean, as hard as it is, we just keep leaning into it, even if it feels scary. With my public speaking, I mean, a lot of my friends know, they know about me that my greatest fear is public speaking. I mean, there's nothing that really scares me more. And yet that's what I keep doing. And I keep, you know, hearing that knock on the door, like, go, go do it. And going back years, um, my good friend, Gabura Davis, she called me up when she was living in Kansas. And she said, you know, Eve, we're having like a little Shabbaton, maybe like 30 ladies. I mean, it wasn't a big, big thing. And she said, I'd love for you to come. We'll fly you in. We can't pay you so much, but it'll be great experience for you. And will you come and be a public speaker at our Shabbaton? And I literally, I remember the phone call because I said, I said, Gabura, this is Eve. Are you looking for someone else? Like I couldn't even like wrap right. my head around it. I said, there's so many other speakers out there. Like there's so many better, greater people. Like, why do you want me? Like I have nothing. And she tried to convince me, but I ended up turning it down. And wow. I thought when I hung up the phone, I thought, phew, I'm free. Like I don't need to go there. Right. And I thought like, that's it. But the truth was like, when I hung up, I felt so sad. Like I felt like disappointed with myself. Like I let myself down. That's actually something that I want to do. I actually want to share my love and my passion about Judaism with anybody. This was an opportunity. The messenger was my friend Gavura, but it was God giving me a great opportunity to, to open this door. And I turned it down. That was the failure. It wasn't getting up and bombing it. That was the failure. It was the turning it down. Right. So I'm just going to fast forward a little bit because I've had many experiences, some of them bigger, some of them smaller, some of them scarier for various reasons. Probably my biggest speaking engagement was about two years ago. I was flown to Columbus, Ohio to run a challah bake for 500 people, men and women. And you know what I mean when I say challah bake, like it's hard, yeah. you know, with the noise yeah. and everyone's like, you know, keep them engaged, keep them uplifted, inspired. Like, how do you do it? Like, is it even possible? And I remember feeling like the, the trepidation and the fear and the knot in my stomach before yeah. I got up on that stage. Like, I don't have anything. Like Hashem, like you give me the words and sometimes you take the words away. And that's also, I do have a trauma from getting up once and nothing came out. Like literally oh. nothing. Oh, that was when I was like 19 years old. And that's when I decided I'm never speaking. Never doing this again, right. You know, it's, it's so scary. It's, it's a gamble. You don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen. 
and, and the embarrassment and the humiliation, if you mess up, I mean, it's a big risk. So yeah. here I was ready to get up on the stage. And I just remember saying these words again and again, ain od milvado, like there's nothing other than God. Like he has the words for me. He'll give me the strength. He'll, he'll let me know what I'm saying and what I'm not. Like, it's not me. It's like taking myself out of the picture right. and then making space for God. And that's when I got up on the stage and I gave it my all. Honestly, I don't even know if it was like the greatest holiday in all of world history, but I did it. And that's what's important, right? I gave it my all. That's all we could give right? Right. at the end of the day. 100%. So I know for me, every time I get up to speak, um, I sort of mutter under my breath, Hashem God, open my mouth, open my lips for me, and let me give over your praises. Wow, beautiful. And those are the beginning words to the Shmona Esrei, the, the private, quiet prayer we say in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I'm like, Hashem, like, all I want to do now is I want to get up and I want to represent and I want to put out stuff there that people can connect to. Right. It's not even about I want them to connect to me. I want them to connect to the message, to the positivity, to the everything, all those good things. I want them to connect to that. Please just you put that out there for me. Right. So okay. that's so, so just so perfect. So, so befitting, like just giving it over to Hashem, giving it over right. to God, realizing that that's where the power comes from. So the truth is, as much as we know this, we need to hear it again and again. It's not like, oh, I got that. Like I have God in my life all the time. Thank God, right? Like right. finding a parking spot. God, please help me. Like God is a present, you know, he's, a, he's present in my life every day, every moment. And yet I still need to be reminded. So I want to share with you, and Rena, I probably told you this really profound experience I had this year when I went to lead my first momentum trip. I was petrified, okay? Like, and in a way, I wish I could have gotten up and said to the 200 ladies, like, guys, I'm so scared, but I'm so excited to be with you. Like, in a way, like, I wish I could have broken the ice, but I just knew I couldn't get up feeling weak. Like, I couldn't lead, like, from a weak place. I needed to, like, put on my strength and get up like, I got this, right? Even though I didn't feel like I got it. It was the first right. time and it was a big deal. So the day before the trip started, and you could just imagine, I couldn't sleep at night. I, I couldn't eat. I, mm -hmm. I was so nervous because it was like a high bar and it was a big deal in my life and I wanted it yeah. to go well. So the day before the trip, I met Charlie Harari. He was just finishing his trip and I was starting mine the next day. And he was finishing his, I waited till he finished his final presentation to the men. Mm -hmm. I waited to speak to him. And I came over to him. I said, hi, Charlie, I'm starting my first trip tomorrow. And he looked yeah. at me and he said, are you, are you petrified? And I said, <laughs> I am. I'm so scared. And he said, good. good. I thought like, yeah. uh-huh. Okay. So he said, because if you weren't petrified, you have no right to be up there. Wow. And I, I know coming from Charlie, cause I'm like, wow. wait, you're not petrified. You're like the, you know, inspirational men's speaker, like in the Jewish world, like you are it, like you can't be scared. And I said, Charlie, you don't get scared still. And he said, every time. Wow. Every time. I know. So I said to him, and we spoke a little bit about it, but I said, Charlie, I just feel like I'm so small. And he said, because you are small. He said, we're all small, but God is big. Is big. And God wow. is, and he said, God is inside you. So when you get up there, just lead with that. 
lead with knowing who you are. God is a part of you and lead with that. And that was the chizuk, the strength that I needed to put down my fear and to get up there. I mean, I got up there on the first night, like feeling so confident. Like I just got up there, like holding that message, like wrapping myself, not only in my strength and in my like pretend, like I got this, but wrapping myself in the arms of God. Like he's got this, he's bigger than me. And I'm doing this with God by my side. It's going to be okay. Right. I am a very, very big, um, I don't know if believer is the right word, but definitely a believer in the, the morning prayer, Modani, right? We wake up in the morning and we say this prayer, Modani lefanacha, I am grateful in front of you, Melechai v'kayam, the living and eternal king, she'achazarta bi nishmati b'chemla, that you gave me back my soul with mercy, rabba emunatacha, great is your faith. And so most of the time when we, we talk about this, like it sounds like great is your faith, like it's great to have faith in you, but it's the flip. Great is God's faith in me, right? When I get up in the morning and I stop and I say to myself, like, hold up a minute, if, if I'm here, right, that means he's got faith in me. That means he's got a plan for me. That means he has the confidence in me to say, Rena, you get another day. You get another go and go and do something with it. Make it meaningful. Um, I try to really focus on that when I'm like lying in bed, not wanting to wake up in the morning, right? To say like, hold up a minute. God's got this. And God believes that I got this. And as long as I work together with him, then we'll get this. It's so hard to sort of keep at the forefront of your head all the time. And listen, we're all human beings. My faith in God is never shaken, but sometimes my faith in myself is. I'm not going to lie, right? I'm like, yes, God, I understand that you got this, but I don't think I do right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind yeah. of thing. And it, it's, it's, but it's good to have it to go back to. I always say that on the days that I'm not feeling it for myself, that's where I go back to for my self-esteem. I'm like, hold up, because if the same God that created the highest mountains and the deepest oceans looked at the world and was like, wait a minute, I need Arena Deutsch there, right? Then I should be able to look at myself in the mirror sometimes and catch myself and be like, okay, you don't think you got this, but maybe you do. Sometimes that can be enough to get you over like those humps, because we all hit them, you know? That's so beautiful. You know, a, a birthday blessing that I love to give to friends is that on this day that you were born, God decided that the world needed you, right? There's yeah. no way out of that. You know, you know, you're here every day that you're here. We have to fix, we have to try, we have to lean in. So, yeah. wow, that's very, very powerful. And, um, you know, it's a small thing. It's a sentence that you say when you wake up. I mean, you could put it by your bed or you could learn it off by heart or learn a song to it or play it, you know, play it on a iTunes, Modani. But just that little, it's kind of like a pep talk. You're giving yeah. yourself a pep talk and that's important. But also I feel like we need to surround ourselves with people that will also boost us up. And when we're feeling like we can't or who am I, we need friends that, that are cheerleaders that will say, you could do it. You've done this before. You For got sure. this. That also, it's so, so important. So let's shift a little bit now because I'd love to talk about vulnerability and authenticity mm -hmm. and how to really show up and, and be the best that you could be and, and really make a difference to the people that you're trying to touch. How do we do that in a complicated situation where we don't feel we actually got this on any level? Like I remember being asked for the first time to speak on marriage. And I just thought to myself, like, 
I struggle in my marriage, right? Sometimes, like sometimes it's great. I felt like such an imposter. I felt very hypocritical. And there was actually one time where I, I was supposed to give a marriage talk and I was in a big fight with my husband and I actually couldn't do it. I couldn't get up there and talk about marriage from a place of like, it's so great. It's so positive. I, and I'm a very positive person. Right. So in that case, I actually switched the topic <laughs> because it was just too hard to be inauthentic about right. the topic. So could you talk a little bit to this and to your experience with, with this path to authenticity? Um, sure. So uh, it's interesting. I was listening to a Rachel Hollis podcast uh, a couple of days ago, and she was talking about her her divorce, which is sort of just now coming out um, in the public. And she was talking about how she was struggling about whether or not she was going to share or how much she was going to share, what she was going to share about it, because she had heard a quote that said, never teach from your wounds, only teach from your scars right? Don't ever talk about stuff that you're still in the middle of. Only talk about things that you've done the work to get through so that you know that like, it's sort of like locked up and you can really talk about it. And I was reflecting on that for a long time. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, but hold up a minute, right? Because you're never done being a human being, right? Like life is a chronic situation. So it's possible that we'll have, you know, acute moments of whatever it is in life, acute moments of grief, acute moments of joy, acute moments of whatever. And and we can find tools and strategies and ways to deal with that acute situation, right? But sort of like the chronic overall situation of life is not one that I feel like we're ever done with. So then like, they're more like scabs than they are like scars. So then how, then how could you ever teach from that place? When are you ever resolved on an ongoing issue? You know, like, so marriage, generally speaking for all of us, even people who are in great marriages, right? They all have their ups and their downs. And, um, sometimes you could think like, oh, we dealt with, you know, financial issues already. And we locked that up six years ago and that happened. And, blah, blah, blah. and then six years later, oh, look, we're having financial issues again for whatever reason. And last time it came in through the front door today, it's coming in from a side window, you know, right? So the way even you're going to deal with the same set of circumstances could be different, right? Yeah. Um, even just like one thing I know I could talk about from my marriage, Avi was diagnosed with MS with multiple sclerosis and it rocked our world to the core, right down to the core. And it was a, it was a very long process that it took for us to, to, to digest it and, and find a way through it. And I, I have a whole talk about that and I have like three strategies that we used and like, I could think to myself, okay, well, we're done with that. Like we had the diagnosis of MS and we figured our way through it and we slogged it out and, and it, everything's great now. Okay. Except for the fact that stuff keeps coming up, um, you know, you, you got to switch this medication or there's a relapse or whatever. Thank God. Like generally speaking, really, he is, thank God he's doing really, really, really well. But the same thing will come up and even though I can still employ some of those things that we figured out 10 years ago, 10 years later, we're, we're different people. Our lives are different. The situation is different. The kids are different, all these sorts of things. So it's not like a copy and paste of what I learned how to deal with then. Right. Mm-hmm. So then should I, should I talk about that? Am I done with it? How can I put it out there? Like, Oh, look, right. these are all the things that I did, but now 10 years later, hmm. I mean, some of them work, but they don't all work. So is that inauthentic? Is that a place where like, Oh, I shouldn't, talk about that 
because I don't have it all locked up. And I think that the way I see it anyways is if right now I'm talking about what is true for me now, what I'm experiencing now, what I feel and understand now, maybe that is going to help somebody in their now. Wow. And when it changes, when it's different, and I might have to go back and be like, okay, so that worked then, right? And I spoke about that then, and it was honesty. It was real, and it was authentic then, and now things have shifted, and now I'm going to talk about it from a different place. And as long as I'm talking from a place of honesty and authenticity in that moment, then my now might help somebody else's now, right? That's what it's about for me. So I think it's important, and we discussed this a little bit on the phone also, it's important to be able to give over realistic sort of generalities, right? And I think where we find a, a line that we have to be very careful about is like the whole TMI thing. I said TMI to my husband and he was like, what is that? Too much information. information. Too much information, exactly. So that we can talk about general things, right? Like marriage in general. And of course we're going to have specifics that come up within our marriage, but the idea is for us to give over general things that it's like the specific universal, you know what I'm saying? Like I specifically experienced it like this, but this is the universal thing that came out of it and find that space between where I can give over one specific that speaks to a universal without giving over a hundred specifics so that it's only about me and my experience. What I've struggled with a little bit in, in my work as a public person is, is, you know, seeing the people in front of me, seeing their needs, like they, they need something real, like something that comes from the heart can enter the heart. And after many years of holding up this, like everything is perfect on the outside type of like facade, I realized I'm part of the problem. Like I'm not helping them. By, mm -hmm. by holding up this, like, no one knows what's going on behind closed doors. Like, as far as everyone knows, it's great. It's perfect. You know, that's nice. It's nice to be able to have that look, but it doesn't help. And at a certain point in my teaching, I decided to get a little more real and a little more open because I wanted not to be part of the problem, but to make a difference in people's lives. And um, at a couple of years ago, I, I published my first article it was a little hard for me to publish. I, I have a bunch of articles published on H.com and Nashim, which you also, I know you're also a contributor for the Nashim magazine for women. But this one article, it was called My Seventh Child, My Marriage. I remember it. I remember oh. it so good, Eve. Oh my gosh, that was great. For all of our followers and listeners, you guys could Google it and read it if you're interested. But before pressing send, I wrote it, I, I thought about it, I edited it. It really spoke about the reality of, of marriage and getting help and, and working on it, working on a marriage that might not be so perfect, ideal. Does it even exist? I, I've never heard of a perfect marriage. But yeah. a perfect marriage is one that takes work and effort. And maybe I am in a perfect marriage, actually, because we've invested ourselves in it. So this article, I wrote it, I put a piece of my heart out there. Um, I had to, I sat with my husband, I had him read it. There were certain things that he didn't feel comfortable sharing. So I took them out, I edited it again and again and again, but it still felt like it was something very, very authentic that I was putting out there. And I remember before pressing sends, 
I, I just, I closed my eyes and I said, God, please let this get into the right hands. Please, please, please. Just the people that need to read this, let them read it. Let it help them. Let it help marriages. And with that prayer, I pressed send and off it went into the world. And, and it went pretty far. I mean, thousands of, yeah. of, of reads and comments and shares. And I got emails. I got phone calls from strangers as far as Australia. Like I didn't know the people that were contacting me, but there were also people that I looked up to that were saying, thank you for writing this. It really resonated. There were, there were people that were like at a different stage in their lives and, and they were, you know, tapping into the energy there. So it, it definitely was a big step for me of really like getting out of my way and putting something out there in the world that it felt scary. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, I must say, I did get some negative feedback, obviously. Like there's always going to be that. I mean, people that I really, really respected told me that they were upset with me, that they, that they were surprised. That's like, you know, I heard from two or three people, like I was surprised, Eve, you know, like, that was pushing it a little bit. And, and it, like, I just, I went from being like, oh, thank God I did this to, oh my gosh. Like even my own sister was like, I think she felt embarrassed that I put myself out there in that way. She said, Eve, all my friends are talking about this article. And I felt like, I'm so sorry if I embarrassed you. Like it was, I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And it, it's just an ongoing struggle. Like how do you put yourself out there, help people in a real authentic way and yet, toe the line, you know, not too much information, not oversharing, not speaking about something that is unresolved. We're works in progress. So I think it's always going to be an ongoing struggle, Rina. I don't know if there's any, like, answers to this. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, it's, it's the chronic situation of being human. So it's funny. I had a, a similar situation to you. I wrote last year um, a piece for Nashi Magazine. It was called The Letter to My Four Children. Oh, it was I before love that. I love that. Oh. So what inspired me to do this was, I mean, I have five kids, right? So it was not obviously like a one-for-one one kind of thing, but I, I sat down. I was, you know, in the throes of Pesach preparation, and I sat down and I thought about the four paradigm sons and I'm like, like, what would I theoretically want to say to my kids? What would I want to, you know, if, if these are the paradigm sons, and of course, I'm sure that all of us see our kids sort of fit into different, different aspects of each one of them. Right. I'm like, well, what would I want to say to my kids? And I, I write, wrote this whole letter, right. To the, the good son and the wicked son and the simple son and the one who doesn't know how to ask. And there are pieces of it that are inspired by my children, right? Mixes of each and each one of them. And, and it went out and it seemed to touch a lot of people, uh, seemed to resonate with a lot of people. I also got responses from people from all over the place saying like, get out of my head. Like, how did you know that this is my life? All that kind of stuff. And that was last year. And then something very interesting happened this year. Um, we were, it was Pesach and we were sitting around our table at the, at the Seder and something happened. I can't really remember what, and my 19-year-old um, said to my 17-year-old, he goes, don't worry, you're the wise son. It's fine. And I was like, oh, what? And he's like, yeah, mommy, I know. And I was like, oh my gosh, right? Like, I'm like, I didn't write it about her in specific, right? Like, there are certain things that like I did, you know, I did mention certain things, but they, I, I thought that they were, well, again, like I was looking for that specific universal, right? And I thought I had done it. And in general, I had. 
And for, for him though, maybe because he was like so into the situation, he was able to pick things out. And you know, obviously people find what they're looking for, right? And then we sat down and we had a whole conversation. Like I didn't name any names. And again, like for me, where I was coming from, I was like, I see a little bit of everything in all my kids, right? And, and but you're right, like there, there can be a place where, um, and I think that this is the tricky thing. There can be a place where you are coming from a very honest and authentic and um, place where you're not trying to rustle feathers and you are not trying to make a big splash. And your article was not about like either, oh, look at me, right? And it wasn't about, oh, hi, I'm so dysfunctional. Like it wasn't anything like that. It was like, guys, it's not always perfect and it's not always easy, but it's always worth the effort. I mean, like, that's what I got out of it, right? And some people are always going to kick back about against that. And Brene Brown once, she said something, I, I, I don't have the quote, like, right on the tip of my tongue, but she said something about how, like, she isn't there for the critics, right? Mm-hmm. She, she is there. Get out of the arena. Like, the critics. Exactly. If you're not in it, yeah. if you're not in the arena, then, you know, you're more than welcome to your opinion, but I don't have to take it, right? And, um... I think that, you know, sort of what I ended up saying to my son, we spoke about it and I said to him, like, sweetie, I love you so much. This, whatever you think I wrote about you wasn't about you, right? There are certain things that may be, I'm like, but there are certain things that are also about this person, about myself, about everybody I know in here, right? And I said, and what I was really trying to do was to draw on things that affect me that might affect other people. I wanted to write something where people could see that there is this real experience that is not always simple. It is not always clear cut and it can be so ambiguous and so confusing when it comes to parenting, parenting different children with different personalities, with different strengths and different weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, this wasn't about like, oh, look, these are my kids and I love this one and I don't love that one. Like, because that's belonging. Was he able to accept that and and see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we sat down and we had a conversation. I mean, again, like, you know, sometimes people extract what they want mm-hmm. from certain things and people are don't we, we we have to remember that everybody is reading or watching or listening to everything through their own filter right, right? and sometimes that filter is uh, a filter of hurt sometimes that is a filter of resentment sometimes that is a filter of um you know um questioning it's a filter all sorts of different things and so sometimes we have the opportunity to engage with them and be able to help them take that filter away and see what was really intended. And then sometimes we need to be able to say, I see you, I see your filter. Uh, I'm sorry that your filter is making this difficult for you, but I love you anyway, and, and be able to move on with that. So I think just like the idea of, of sharing from a real deep place is, is it's so good when it's coming from a pure place to keep in mind um, that not every story is yours to share. Right? right. I mean, if, if it includes other people like your children, for example, you know, you would need to be very, very careful about not exposing them or, or even your spouse without permission. Right. I had to like really work through before sharing that article with the world to get to a place where my husband was like, he was with me with this, like this will help other people go for it. You have my blessing. 
So that's one thing to keep in mind. Another thing I think we need to keep in mind is what usually holds us back or the voice that says, no, don't share anything real, is the fear of, of being slammed by the negativity, like people's negative filters that they're reading things through. Like they might not be open to receiving what you're offering. And, and it's interesting, like, why are we so afraid? I'm not quite sure. It's a Jewish thing to debate it's okay not to agree on everything. Like you could have your perspective, someone else could have their perspective. They could even tell you that they don't appreciate what you just shared, right? We're so sensitive, we're so, it's like we're so fragile in a way, we just crumble. I don't know if you saw, there's a great, I think it's a Disney movie, but there's a movie called Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh yeah, I saw that. Best part that I took away was the part so Ralph is becoming this big, you know, star and he's getting all these likes and all of that. And then he finds himself, he goes into the comment room and there's like scrolls like up and down the walls, like hundreds and thousands of comments coming in about him. And he's like, oh, Ralph's so cute. Oh, this, that, like all these like hearts and all this good stuff. And then he like sees like there's tons of negative comments and he starts mm -hmm. reading them like, he's such a fraud. Who is this Ralph? Get him off the internet. Like just all this negativity. And he starts like going into himself and the head of like YouTube or whatever, like this lady, like she's looking for him. She finds him and, and she sees him like crying and like, you know, totally broken. Like he's done. His career is done. He's so, cause he took it all in all the negativity. And she said, Oh, Ralph, I forgot to tell you the number one rule. You never read the comments. Exactly. Right? I'm saying like, if we have something, a passion, a desire to bring out to the world, to share, if it, it could be a gift and it could help even one person, then there's something in us that, that has to move that forward. We need to overcome our fear of people giving us the negativity or not, not you know, liking what we're putting out there, whatever it is, whatever we write, whatever we post, you know, Rena, you and I, like we're, we're, we're always doing this dance. Like we want to do good. We want to bring light into the world. And we're constantly in this dance of like, how much, what's right, what to share, what not to share, you know, and also like, who am I? Like, this is just a constant battle. And, um, and Rena, you had a powerful quote that you shared with me before. I'd love for you to share that. I kind of feel that this is a struggle that a lot of people go through. The reason that I, I know this for a fact is I, I do spend a lot of time with women. I go to many conferences. I'm part of, of many women's organizations. One of them is called CORE, which is run out of Denver, Colorado. We're both a part of it under the guidance and leadership of Eliza Bulo. And you and I, we've been to CORE conferences before together. I'm pretty sure we've been together. I've been to many of them. And I remember going to the first conference and sitting around the table, there must have been 27 or 30 ladies from all over the world. We're talking Rebbitsons, leaders, lay leaders, passionate women. Like I literally, like, I remember thinking to myself, maybe we should just not do this conference and all of us should just close our eyes and pray and Mashiach will come like right now. Like that's how beautiful and intense like yeah. the room was. It was on fire with these powerhouse women. And the opening session at these conferences are always that we go around, we spend a few hours going around and sharing just the who, you know, who everyone is, what their work is, what maybe one of, some of the challenges are, and just sharing like, that's it, like who they are. And every single woman, every single of the 30 women at the first conference said the same thing. They introduced themselves and then they said, 
I really don't know what I'm doing here, surrounded by such hush of, you know, important women. I mean, you guys are all like really great speakers and leaders. I feel like, who am I? Why am I here? Like, literally, I listened to every, I was like, just watching. One, two, three, 25, 30. Every single woman said this. I was one of them. I know, and I was one of them also. We were all doing the same thing, but it was so clear to me. We have to step up. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. Maybe the way we see each other as really big people that have a lot to put out there in the world. We have so much beauty and love and passion to flood this world with. That if we keep hiding behind the who am I, the world is not going to be as bright as it should be. Right. But we have no choice but to lean in and to kind of peel away, move through those ridiculous thoughts and hold each other up. Because when it came to my turn, I mean, I felt the same thing, like, who am I to be uh, surrounded by such great women? But I said, ladies, you're so great. It's such an honor to be in your presence, each one of you. So I think like that was kind of what I walked away with. Like we're all seeing ourselves as imposters, but really we're not. We're supposed to be great. We're supposed to shine our light. So I hope, I hope and I pray that our talk today resonated with a lot of you. Because I'm assuming that if we feel it so strongly, <laughs> you're also feeling this at certain times, different details maybe, but we all feel this. We're all together on it. I just want to say that I remember getting on the plane to go to that conference and sitting down in my seat and being like, I don't even know why I'm going. I think actually part of the reason I was going was just to be able to be in the presence of all these other people. And in the back of my head, I was like, but I don't belong there. And you know what though? I'll tell you what it is. I really felt that to my core and I did it anyway. And I think that that's Anybody who's looking at you and looking at me and being like, okay, great for you to talk about imposter syndrome, but look, you're, you are fine and you get up and you're confident and you speak and you're, you're great. And me, I really, I'm nothing. Here's the deal. What I would want to say, and um, this is a quote from somewhere else. I just don't remember exactly where, and this is it. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the ability to act in the face of it. So mm -hmm. You and I, we both know how we feel on the inside. Nobody sees it on the outside. So what it is, is it's not that I'm over my imposter syndrome and I've gotten past it and I'm like, yes, I know I'm all that in a bag of chips, okay? <laughs> it's that I know that, and sometimes I don't, but most of the time I do. I know that if I'm here, if I have a talent, if I have a, a thought that could be useful to somebody, then I have a responsibility to share it, right? And who am I to not be what I'm supposed to be? I think that that's really the question. It's not, who am I to do this? Okay, look, as long as I, again, coming from an honest place, I've put some thought into it and, and made it into, you know, more than just like blubbering for the fun of it. Who am I to not put that forward? It might not work for everybody, and, but whoever it's supposed to go to, it will. And it's not right to hold that back if that's what God gave me. To put into this world. So um, sometimes we need to flip that question on ourselves. Who am I? Who am I to give this advice? Well, who am I not to?
Mm, that's so beautiful. And Rena, in your experience, have you found that the more you do it, the easier it gets? I mean, the fear never leaves. It never completely leaves. It's always going to be there. It's like our friends, like we acknowledge it like, oh, fear, you're here. It's so good to see you again. I missed you, right? It's there, okay? And it's there for a reason. It actually gives us energy. It propels us forward. We should always feel that fear and excitement. But, you know, Tony Robbins, he says that repetition is the mother of mastery. Like yes. if you do it again and again and again, it, it becomes a little easier. So I must say, after, after thro throwing myself into the ring, into the fire sometimes it feels like, time after time after time, it does get a little easier or maybe parts of it are not as petrifying as they used to. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you feel the same way. I just remember like the first time I, I ever spoke, even it was, it was probably for five ladies, but because I, I shared, I had this trauma when I got up and I didn't speak when I was 19 years old. So that really did me in. I couldn't even speak at my Shabbat table, literally. I, I'm not kidding you. For all of you that have this fear of public speaking, when we went around and my husband said, everyone share their favorite ice cream flavor. Yeah. I excused myself and busied myself with like the challah and the hot plate and the food. Hello. It was an excuse because I didn't want to speak even at my own Shabbat table. That's how debilitating this fear was. And I have to say, when I got that first invitation to go and give a class, uh, you know, Razi Nussbaum, our good friends in Israel. So she was running a seminary and I was just running the chugim, like I was doing like arts and crafts with the girls and scrapbooking and I was teaching dancing and making challah. Like that was easy. I didn't have to like speak. You know what I mean? Like I did, I'm yeah. great one-on-one, -on -one, but like to get up and speak was petrifying. Razi Nussbaum called me and she said, Eve, I, I, I'm desperate for a substitute for one period tomorrow. And I said, I, I can't do it. I, I'll get my husband to do it. I'll, I, I can't do it. And she said, I don't have a choice. She said, I need you. I need you to do it. She didn't give me an out. <laughs> and I remember that night, not sleeping, sitting at the table with papers and papers of notes. I don't even think I had a computer in those days. I, I mean, I, the truth is I still use papers. <laughs> Nothing much changes. <laughs> But I, I was sitting there and I was working through the night on this class. I was putting my heart, my passion, my soul into this class that I was going to give over to this, to this small group, like maybe five or six girls. And, and on the way, I, I was a wreck. When my husband woke up in the morning, he came. I was still sitting at the dining room table. And I was exhausted. I was a wreck. I was like, Gaddy, I'll pay you. Please, can you give the class for me? I'll do anything. Please, please, can you give it? Not me. I can't do it. And he said, you could do it. Go do it. And I remember walking the block and a half to the school in Harnof, and I cried the whole way. I said, Hashem, I can't do this. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm not going to be able to, 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 to bring out what I want to bring out. I'm so scared of the rejection, the, the failure. I got to the school. The girls were not even like so interested in the class. Okay. Like they were like on their devices and like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I was like, hi, I'm here. Like they didn't know that I had prepared like so many hours and they gave me like half their attention. You know what I mean? Yep. I gave that class. And for me, that was a huge success. I mean, I had climbed a mountain in the last, mm -hmm. you know, 20 hours since, since knowing I'm going to do this class. 
And when I walked out of the seminary, I mean, the girls enjoyed it. I think it went well, pretty well. I mean, no one threw tomatoes. Okay. So I think it was like all in all, it was a success. There you go. <laughs> out of that school and walking home to my apartment, I looked up at the sky and I had this conversation with God. I said, I have never done anything in my life that has felt so good as what mm -hmm. I just did. It was mm -hmm. crazy. I was a seamstress. I had a business. I, I was doing totally different work, but that was the turning point in my life. I tasted something so sweet, something that was hidden within me. And I always give Razi Nussbaum the credit for, for me getting up there and, and starting this path, this career of, of, of bringing Judaism to women because I, I wasn't able to take that step without someone saying, you don't have a choice, okay? Get up there, <laughs> like sing or swim, and I swam. So I, I must say, going back all the way to those beginning days, I was crying, and I would cry every time. I mean, when we moved to Denver, Colorado, and my mm -hmm. boss said to me, Eve, I'd like you to introduce the speaker, okay? This is like my first event. It was, we brought yeah. in Dr. Lisa Aiken to be our public speaker Ooh, for a women's okay. event. And all he did was say, Eve, could you just go up and introduce the speaker? And I said, Rabbi Wasserman, I, I can't do that. Like, I can't even do that. Like, I turned him down. This is my first job in Denver. I'm trying to make a good impression on my new boss. And I was just, I was not there. And every time he said, just do it, Eve. I mean, I would cry. I would drive to the place I was giving a class and I would talk to God and, and, and beg him to please help me. So I don't cry anymore in that way. It's not as hard because I keep doing it. So yeah. repetition, it helps a little bit. Is that your experience? Um, yeah, it definitely is. So it's funny, just before I started teaching at Opana, it, it's, it's a very long story how I ended up where I am now from being a makeup artist. Um, so I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but I, they called me to do like a mother-daughter night and to give a talk. And I had actually given a similar talk the week before. I was like, okay, fine. I already have it. So no problem. Right. And I went and I did it. And a week later they called me, they're like, okay, so would you come teach here? And I promise you the first words out of my mouth, Eve, was I'm like, I'm not a teacher. Huh. Right? They're like, no, we think you are. I'm like, okay, but you think wrong. I'm telling you, I'm not a teacher. Wow. They're like, well, could you put together a model class and just do it, you know, for our entertainment? I was like, oh, for your entertainment? Sure, that's fine. And I went in and I did it. And then they called me and they're like, okay, we'd like to offer your position. I'm like, I don't think you understand. I'm not a teacher. Wow. <laughs> right? um, fast forward two years and, you know, thank God I'm taking on uh, an even fuller load than I had last year. Um, but I was just really like quick to push it off and to just be like, no, I, I, but that's not, that's not me. I don't do that. Like you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm not that person. Um, and like you said, you got that push of somebody saying like, no, but you are right. right? Rina, I just, I just think of the, the hundreds of girls that you've impacted teaching at Olpana. I mean, I don't know how big the school is, maybe not hundreds yet, not but, hundreds yet. No. <laughs> but, but generations that you're impacting. And, God, and wow. I just saw in one of our chats, someone said, I need a fabulous color teacher. And I saw someone wrote, Rina Deutsch is the best color teacher. And it, it makes me so happy because imagine if you weren't like, if you, you know, gave into that imposter syndrome and you weren't changing lives and you weren't giving this beauty, this gift of yourself to other women. Each time we do it, you're right. It gets a little easier. 
still get the butterflies, but you know that it's, you know that it's the ride you want to be on. And so the butterflies are worth it. Wow. Well, Rena, this was such a fabulous conversation. I'm, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to have you by my side. I, I suggest that everyone should surround themselves with cheerleaders and with people that will lift them up and fix their crown and, you know, fix their eye makeup also. And, you know, exactly. surround yourself with good people that are positive and encouraging of you. Because the truth is we all have a calling. And sometimes our calling calls us and we ignore it. We push it away. But when we don't listen to our calling, it screams. Sometimes it yells and, and, and we feel in so much turmoil because we're not bringing our gifts to the world. And I know that a lot of people feel that turmoil. I know that I felt it and you felt it. And I'm only assuming that so many others have felt it. So I hope that this, our podcast has helped you and feel free to reach out to us. I mean, I'm always available to anyone. Rena also is very, it's very sure. easy to find us. Well, thank you, Rena. Thank you so much, Eve. This was awesome. This was amazing. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. We value that you are a part of our community. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and to learn more about the work that we do at Inspire Jewish Women, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website at www.inspiredjewishwomen.com. Notice that we use the word woman and not woman in plural because Jewish women are most powerful when we bond together. And we together can create amazing, positive changes in the world. Bye for now. Hope to see you again soon so we could continue this conversation.